listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. Today we're jumping into part three of... Uh, what we're calling the H nine system. If you didn't hear the story, I was, uh, I was praying on Sunday morning and, uh, getting ready for the service. And as I'm sitting there getting ready for the service, the Lord starts dropping, um, all of this into my spirit at one time. And so, um, it's like, I just started writing it down as quickly as possible. Cause he's giving me all these things at once and probably within less than 10 minutes, he dropped all these things in my spirit and, uh, and then gave me verses and gave me, uh, different things. And he started to speak to me, uh, about the power of, uh, an internal culture. And of course we have all of that. Um, Hey, brother Hankins is on. Um, we have all of these different ways we see that happen. We have, uh, racial cultures. We have, uh, national and state cultures. We have, uh, family cultures. And now we've got corporations that are, um, establishing their corporate culture and then churches, you know, with their, with the church culture. Uh, and there's power in that. The reason I say it is because one of the things you've got to understand is that the culture determines your reaction to any given situation. We do it this way. We do it this way. It, it becomes almost like your traditions are based upon your culture, right? And that we know that inherently. We we made the uh, example on the very first day. Uh, for example, in the Latin American culture, uh, they have a quinceanera for a girl that may turn 15, coming into womanhood. In our culture, we, we have a sweet 16. It's different. Um, but those are based on the culture, how we react. Well, obviously they're going to react a certain way when a young lady turns 15, we're going to react a certain way when a young lady turns 16, that kind of a thing. And so it, it defines your actions in any given situation. That's why it's so important because when you have a, a healthy, successful culture that's established, Uh, You never have to think about, well, how should I react in this situation? How should I respond? You already know because the culture, the code that you've developed, uh, it gives you parameters on how you're going to respond in any given situation. That's why it's so vital. And that's why the Lord, the Lord was um, dealing with me and he was taking me through all the, gave me nine things. I wrote them down, wrote the scriptures down, uh, the other things he had me to write. And, um, it just all came at once and I'm probably going to write very soon a book on this and just include it all. I know it'll help churches. It'll definitely help you guys and, uh, anybody that ever stands with us to help us in any capacity, it's going to help them as well. Uh, because as I said, it gives you parameters inside of your purpose. And so it's so important. So very important. We need it. Because what it does is not only does it unify us, but it brings us into a place of, um, I guess you could use the word synchronicity, a a team. You know, when you talk about a team, uh, 
that's the power of um, these teams. I used to – I love basketball. I played basketball. Morning, Britt. Hey, Jack. Jackie Miller. Lisa, good to see you guys on. Um, that's the power, really. I played basketball. We won the state championship. Um, and I used to love, and I still love to this day, I don't care for pro sports as much unless it's soccer. I like college sports better than I like pro sports because you, you get far less whining, far less of all the stuff you don't want to see. It's just guys hustling, and, and, and they're looking for the big league, so they're playing as hard as they can. And I love college football. I love college basketball. And I love to watch them play. But I used to watch some of these teams, and I'd think to myself, man, it's amazing to watch some of these teams that doesn't look like they've got all the talent in the world. But one thing they do have is they've got such uh, – uh, they've synced their team together uh, so well that their plays are running like clockwork. It's like unbelievable. That's one of the reasons I used to watch in, in, when I was playing. I used to love to watch Kansas, the University of Kansas, because their basketball team, although it didn't look like they had any like superstars necessarily, those guys were so uh, amazingly together on these plays. They could run plays and just they'd stick to them, and they were so disciplined in their playmaking, they would just kill guys. They'd crush teams. And um, it showed me that a team that's truly synced together in that way, it's amazing what you can accomplish. It's like even when we went to uh, the state championship as our our high school team, we didn't, it, it blows my mind. We're from like a little coal mining town uh, in, in West Virginia. We went and played all the teams from the capital and beat them all, beat them all. Nobody believed it would happen. Nobody believed that it could happen. Uh, but it was really just our heart, our hustle, uh, the way that we were able to come together, it really was amazing. But you start to realize that's the power of knowing your role, knowing what you should do in any situation. And, um, you know, one of the things that makes me uh, think about this is when you look at a really, really great quarterback in the NFL, things move so quickly in those games. And when you when you really get to executing those plays – Things move so quickly that, think of it this way, that quarterback cannot wait until his receiver is in the place where he's going to catch the ball. They don't play, they don't run plays like that. That play has been rehearsed so many times, and when that quarterback drops back with the ball, what does he do? He throws the ball where the receiver is going to be. And tr- what's he trusting? He's trusting that that receiver is going to faithfully run his route and then be in the right place at the right time in order to complete the play. And what what are they depending upon? They're depending upon the fact that we've already synced our team together. These plays have been rehearsed time and time and time and time again. So that's why I can trust to just throw the ball into space because I know that because we're so synced that he's going to faithfully run his route and be in the right place at the right time to catch the pass. That is the power of synchronicity. Puts us all on the same page, has us all reacting in the same way. It brings unity. And really, it protects us from uh, division, which is really just as important. And so the Lord started giving me all these 
Kyle said, my dad would always remind me while playing sports that hard work in sync beats talent nine times out of 10, which is true. It's what happened to us. And so you start to realize that uh, your culture is important. What you have put together, what you're faithful to, what you're dedicated to, very important. Because remember this, if you can learn to live by principle versus by feeling or reaction to what other people are doing, that's how 90 some percent of the world lives. They just do things in response or in reaction well, he made me mad, so I'm going to do this. I'm going to speak my mind. I'm going to give him a piece of my mind. I'm going to blow up. I'm going to freak out. They live by reaction. They do things, or sometimes, if people aren't strong, they'll just begin to kind of do what everybody around them's doing. They get into that flow where they just kind of go with the flow. You know, they've proven this. This is a mind-blowing thing. One of the things they've shown us now is that we depend on what others think so much more than we know we do. Let me give you an example of how uh, that functions in normal society. If you go on amazon.com and you're looking for a product and you've got three products that, that come up in the search that are exactly what you need. They're all three of them are exactly what you need. They've shown now that even though all the specs on the products are the same, they're exactly the same. Battery life is the same, you know, size, weight, functions, features, all that's the same. The average person will always choose the one that has the most reviews. They're just, they've, they've proven it. And so you can look at one there. Now remember all three products are the same, but this one has, uh, you know, 300 reviews. And even the, even the ratings could be the same. I've, I've done this myself. I've, I've, I've literally <laughs> fallen into this same pattern. You could have three of them, and they're all four-star products, four out of five stars. This one's got 400 reviews, four stars. This one has, you know, 982 reviews, four stars. But this one over here has 5,124 reviews, four stars. I'm always going to choose the one that's got 5,000 if they're the same product, 5,124 reviews. Because we inherently just think, well, more people have bought that one, so it must be better. More people have reviewed that, must be better. There's nothing to show you it's better, so what are we doing? We're just trusting all of those who went before us that bought that product. We're just believing that what they say is true. And we're making a whole decision, a purchase decision, on what someone else thinks, what someone else says. We do the same thing with restaurants. We look on Yelp or we look on Google reviews. Well, this restaurant's got a four-star rating. This one too, but man, this one's got like 3,000 reviews. Their tacos must be off the chart. So we choose that over this. Why? No other reason that more people reviewed it. And so if we're not careful... That is something they've proven. That is something that every human can fall into doing. If everyone says that's the way to think and that's the way to go and that's the way to live, many people will then just go do it also. What's up, Kemba? I love you. So think about what's been going on over 2020 and 2021. There are tons of people that are just being told how to think about stuff, 
how to think about the vaccine, how to think about uh, the virus, how to think about safety, how to think about all of that. And then what they do is that if they can get enough people thinking like that, then what happens? They know just by that psychological principle, it's going to pull others into thinking, well, you know, that's the popular uh, thought. That must be the way to think. That's how people are. I don't know if you know it. They'll be like, well, that, that's what everybody thinks. That must be true. If that's what everybody's doing. You know, must this must be it. But that doesn't mean that at all. It just means it's what everybody's doing. <laughs> doesn't mean it's right or wrong. It just means the majority of people are doing it. You never can judge or choose to live your life by what the majority of people are doing. I mean, think about if you did that in context of Christianity. Well, the Bible doesn't tell us that the majority of people in the world are going to be saved. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says it's a straight and a narrow path and few there be that find it. We're not going to be the majority going to heaven. We're going to be the minority going to heaven. Bible's clear on that. Won't be the majority that finds Christ. It'll be the minority that find Christ. And so what if we use that same principle about whether or not we should uh, live holy lives or live a Christian life? Well, you know, that's not really accepted widely around the world. So, you know, I don't know that that's really the way to live. You know, there's seven over 7 billion people in the world, but, you know, really only about 1.8 billion of them have chosen Christianity. So I don't know that that's really the majority. You think about it, 5.2 billion people say that's not the way to go. So look at that. What if you looked at those two things with reviews and you say, well, Christianity versus non-Christian, non-Christian, the non-Christian product has 5.2 billion reviews. Christianity only has 1.8 billion reviews. So which one should we do? It's that mob mentality, like Billion said. Yeah, everybody's doing it, so it must be right. Everyone thinks it, so it must be right. You know, and that's not the case. That's not the case. So by determining and defining your culture, guess what? It allows you to live by principle instead of living by popular opinion. Hmm. Think about it. And I want you to put that in the comments. I choose principle over popular opinion. Put that in the comments. First thing I'll have you put in today. I choose principle over popular opinion. And you've got to do that. As a Christian, you have no choice but to do that. Because remember, what Jesus wants you to do with your life will never line up to be popular opinion, ever. Never has been, and it never will be. Old Testament, New Testament, early church, current church. Never has been, never will be. Popular uh, opinion will never back Christianity. And so we have to make up our minds. I choose principle over popular opinion. That's why these last two days plus today, these three broadcasts are so important and if you're just jumping on and you haven't had time to share the broadcast, share the broadcast because it's so vital we get this message into people's spirits. And the Lord gave me these nine things that should define our principles in the kingdom. And especially as part of the victory tribe, these are nine things that will keep you in victory. They'll keep you in victory. And we started on Monday. I'm giving you three each day because there's really just so much to teach and talk about. 
but I'll kind of uh, run through them before we start with today's three. In case you missed any, I'll give you a brief overview of the six we've already covered, and then we'll jump in today's final three. There's nine. And these, by the way, are in no particular order, and they probably won't be in this order when I write the book, because the first one we deal with today is probably the first one I'm going to put in the book. But here's how we've covered them over the last two days. Number one, we're calling it the H9 philosophy or the H9 system, because God gave me nine of these things, and every one of them began with the letter H. It's easy to remember, and I'm going to put it down for you this way. But here's what we've already covered. These nine things define our culture that brings us into victory. Number one, we're happy people. We are happy people. Joy defines our culture. It's the fuel for purpose. It keeps us strong and productive, and it ensures we'll never creep into bitterness. Number two, we're humble people. Pride will never be a part of our culture because God resists the proud and gives more grace or favor to the humble. Number three, we hustle. We're diligent. We're faithful. We're self-motivated and resourceful. Laziness will not be a part of our culture. We're diligent people. That's who God's looking for. Number four, we honor. We are honorable people. We honor others. We honor those in authority. We honor our parents. We honor our family. We honor spiritual leadership. We honor people. We prefer others above ourselves at all times. That's honor. Number five, we're helpful. We don't find problems. We provide solutions. That's key. We don't find problems. We provide solutions. We're helpful people. And number six, we finished with this yesterday. We're hungry people. We're hungry for God's presence and we're hungry for his word. We're hungry for uh, his mighty power to touch us at all times. We're never going to become stagnant. We'll never become lukewarm. We're never going to throw life into cruise control. We're never just going to coast through our purpose. We are hungry people. And the Bible says, blessed are those which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. For what? They shall be filled. That's going to be our story in Jesus' name. And so those are the six we've already covered. I've got three more for you today. And so as we're covering these, I want you to put them in the comments section. I want you to write them down and I want you to put the scriptures in and I want you to realize that this is not optional. If we're going to walk in never ending victory as the victory tribe, then these have to be a part of our lives. And um, I'm thinking maybe along with the book, it might be good to put something together, maybe a card, something that we can send you that you can put up, uh, you know, somewhere. You can put it up in your car. You can put it up on the mirror in your bathroom, whatever it might be that on your refrigerator. Keeps these things in front of your face so that we always know who we are and defines what we do or how we respond in any uh, specific situation. And so we're going to get in now number seven, eight, and nine, and that's what we're covering today. So I want you to put it down. This is number seven. The seventh thing the Lord gave me, we're holy people. We're holy people. Write it down. Number seven, we're holy people. Yeah, I think that would be a good idea. We'll work on getting those out before the book comes out. Yeah, none of them are optional. 
Number seven, we are holy people. What do we mean? What do we mean by that? Well, let's look at the command in First uh, Peter, chapter one. And I'm going to read you verses thirteen through seventeen. First Peter, chapter one, verses thirteen through seventeen. Listen to this. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. See that. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Since it's written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Huh. By the way, that's Leviticus chapter 11. Verse 17, and if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. That doesn't mean we're afraid. It means that we reverentially awe God. We respect him. And so we obey him. So it's a command. Notice this. Holiness is not an option. Holiness is not a suggestion. Holiness is a command for God's people. But I'm going to show you something that's going to really encourage you because God does not expect you to just be holy for no reason. God always has a plan to bless those who obey his word. No question. I'll actually go on and um, read you another verse in one chapter over. First, This is 1 Peter 2. And um, this is verse 9. Very famous verse. I'm sure you've read it. The Bible says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. A what? We're a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So we're a holy nation. We're a holy nation. That's who we are. I want you to write it and know it. We are a holy nation. Put it in. We are a holy nation. And there's no question about that. No question about that. We are a holy nation. Well, if we're talking about holiness, the victory tribe, we're holy people. We're holy people. But here's the power of that is if we are holy people, then we ought to get ready for the kinds of blessings that accompany holy people. Well, what what kind of blessings are those? Well, listen to uh, Psalm 84 and verse 10 and 11, verses 10 and 11. Psalm 84, verses 10 and 11. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield, and the Lord bestows favor and honor, and no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Talking about people that live holy. 
He will not withhold any good thing, not one, from those who walk uprightly. So as holy people, one of the things that we are entitled to, according to Scripture, is that God won't withhold any good thing from our lives. I flip back and and look at uh, Psalm 1. We read this often, but it applies here as well. We're going to read it again, verses 1 through 3. Blessed is the man or woman who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, does not stand in the way of sinners, doesn't sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Now here's the benefit. Verse three, he's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. Thank you, Jesus. And in all that he does, he prospers. (laughs) So Psalm 84, 11, Psalm chapter one, verses one through three, we're seeing now the blessings of what? Holiness. The blessings of holiness go one book back, Job 36. Let me give you Job 36 and verse 11. Elihu here talking about God's greatness. And notice this. I'll read you verses uh, 10 and 11. The Bible says, he, this is Job 36, 10 and 11. He opens their ears to instruction and commands that they return from iniquity. That's sin. If they will listen and serve him, talking about God, they will complete their days in prosperity and their years in pleasantness or pleasures, one translation said. So if they'll get sin out of their life, and listen and serve the Lord. That's holiness. They'll complete their days in prosperity and their years in pleasures or pleasantness, not in strife and problems and anxiety and drama. No, in pleasantness, in pleasures. Hallelujah. What, what's the prerequisite there? Just obey the Lord, serve and obey. That's all holiness is. Let me give you a simple definition of holiness in case people are like, well, I just don't understand. Can you explain holiness? Can you break holiness down? Yes. Yes, I can. Yes. And he'll shout and dance right now. Let me give you a simple definition for holiness. You ready? Holiness is active obedience to the written word of God. That's all it is. It's not com- complex. That's a, Put that definition in the comments. Write it in your notes. Keep it with you. Holiness is active obedience to the written word of God. Holiness, active obedience to the written word of God. That's all holiness is. That's all it is. Now, I will throw in there as a little add-on 
that when the Holy Spirit tells you to do something, he may lead you and guide you, right? He may tell you what he wants you to do with your life and your purpose. These are things that are not necessarily found in the written word of God, but uh, they are things that are found because the Holy Spirit can still speak. He can still lead us and guide us into all truth. He can still uh, lead his children. Romans 8, 14, those that are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. John chapter 16, the Holy Spirit will lead and guide you into all truth. So the Holy Spirit can lead you in your purpose, your ministry, your life. He can tell you where to move. He's done that to us. Tell you where to go, what career to take, what path to take. And if he tells you to do something and you reject his instruction, the Bible says to him that knows to do right and does it not, to him it is sin. To him it is sin. So I tell people holiness is active instruction to the word of God. To the word of God. Now, the reason I made that an add-on is because not everybody is going to get the same leading from the Holy Spirit. Not everybody's going to have the same instruction from the Holy Ghost. You know, we're not all called to go to the same place and do the same thing. So the reason I say the written word of God is because this is in stone for every believer on the earth. And if you'll obey this word, that's holiness. That's what holiness is. And so one thing after the other, what does the Bible say in the book of Matthew? Matthew chapter six. This is another very familiar passage. Matthew six, verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. See that? And his righteousness. Then what will happen? All these things will be added Unto you, you have to ask yourself in context, what are these things that he's talking about? Well, here he's talking about what will we wear? What will we eat? Where will we live? And he said, don't worry about those things. That's what heathen worry about. But seek ye first. See, he, he, he deals with that in verse 31. Don't be anxious saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? No. He said, the Gentiles seek after these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these other things will just be added unto you. So there's blessings to holiness, supernatural blessings. Let me give you another one. Go to first Peter chapter three. We're back to first Peter again. First Peter chapter three. What are these blessings of living holy? I was listening to a, a mighty man of God, probably holds the largest services now that are held in the world. Uh, his name's Pastor Enoch Adeboye in Nigeria. He's the general overseer of the Redeemed Christian Church of God. And um, I listened to him preach a message entitled The Master Key. The Master Key. And when he was preaching that message, he talked about the fact that in the kingdom, there are many keys. Faith is a key. Prayer is a key. Praise is a key. All these different things. But he said, all of those keys, there's something that can happen that can hinder them or stop them from working. There are things that can stop your prayers from being answered. There's things that can stop your faith from working. There are things that can stop your praise. But he said, the master key, that's the door that, that's the one that opens any door in the house. 
the master key, there's nothing that can hinder it from working. And he said, the master key in the Bible is holiness. There's nothing that can stop holiness from working. Nothing. It is the master key. Listen to 1 Peter 3 and verse 12. For the eyes of the Lord are on who? The righteous. <laughs> the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. Look at this now. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So notice, God's not reacting to everybody the same. The Bible says his eyes are on those who are pleasing him with their actions, the righteous. His ears are open to their prayers. Do you know David said in the Old Testament, in the book of Psalms, I believe it's chapter, what, 66, that if I had regarded iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not hear me when I pray. What's he saying? If there's sin in my life, if I, if I li live in sin, allow myself to be in sin, the Lord's not hearing my prayers. Do you know the only prayer the Lord hears from a sinner? The prayer of repentance. The prayer of repentance. That's it. The blessings of God are not reserved for people who are not children of God. It's reserved for the children of God. So holiness puts you in position to walk in the blessings of heaven. Supernatural. To have your prayers answered. And so it's so vital that we live in obedience to the word of God. I just listed all the benefits and it ensures that we're never destroyed, right? So I, I've been doing this for each one. What's the benefit? What does it ensure we never do? Well, I just read you all the benefits and we know that it, it ensures that we never are destroyed by sin because the wages of sin is death. And the gift of God though is eternal life in Jesus Christ. So sin kills everything it touches. Kills everything it touches. And this one seems to be relatively easy to, to identify, but we say, well, how do I identify I'm missing this? Well, if there's sin in your life, if you're in constant sin and you're living in a way that's contradictory to the word of God, that's how you identify it. What's the solution? You repent and you get back to living in a way that's pleasing to the Lord. Ask him to empower you. Get filled with the Holy Ghost. Did you ever notice this? I'm just going to give you this before we move on. Jesus, well, let me say it this way. God didn't even allow Jesus to be tempted by the devil until he got filled with the Holy Ghost. I want you to think about that. Luke chapter 3, Jesus goes down to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. He's baptized in water. When he comes up out of the water, the heavens open. The Holy Spirit descends upon him like a dove. A voice speaks from heaven. This is my beloved son. But I want you to see what happens now. Right after he's baptized and the Holy Ghost comes upon him, Luke chapter 4 is where it begins right after the baptism. And listen to what the Bible says. And Jesus, verse 1, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the spirit in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil. 
and he ate nothing during those days. So do you, do you catch this now? This is God's pattern. God did not even allow Jesus to be tempted by the devil until Jesus was filled with the Holy Ghost. I mean, he'd already lived for 30 years on the earth. There was plenty of time for the devil to tempt him, but God didn't allow it until Jesus had a force that allowed him to overcome every temptation, and that's the Holy Ghost. Jesus produced no miracles before he got the Holy Ghost, none, not one. Then he got the Holy Ghost and became a miracle man, but he was also in position to overcome temptation. See that? And so we begin to realize it. If we want to live free from sin, the Holy Spirit is essential. You can't act like the Holy Spirit's not essential in your life. He's the one who empowers you to live free from sin. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's how we can identify it, but then that's how you fix it. And then you got to understand that once you're filled with the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit are active in your life, but they're all choices. But you're now empowered. What's the final fruit of the Spirit? Self-control. You are now empowered to live with self-control. You weren't before. Now you are. Paul the Apostle said in 1 Corinthians 9, 27, I discipline my body on a daily basis. So that after having preached to other people, I myself won't become disqualified. So what did Paul say? My flesh is trying to make me do things that aren't pleasing to God. So what do I do? Discipline it every day. I discipline it every day. What With what? The power of the Holy Ghost. He's, he, he's able now to live in self-control. You see? And that's what we've got to do. Yield to the Holy Spirit. Walk in self-control. So that's number seven of this system. Victory tribe, we are holy people. We're holy people. Number eight, another very, very important. They're all important. I can't, I can't get away from that. But number eight, we're hospitable people. Hospitable. We are generous givers. We are generous givers. We're hospitable. Put it in the comments. Number eight, hospitable. If you're going to be like God and you're going to walk in victory, you can't do it if you're not a hospitable, general, generous giver that is literally happy, excited to do it. That's who we are. That's who we are. I'll tell you one thing I made up my mind about a long time ago. I'm never going to be a cheapskate. Never. Annoys me to no end. Cheap, stingy people. It's not God. That shows that you, you're missing an aspect of God's nature in your own life because God is not stingy. God is not cheap. That's not who he is. He's a giver. Our God is a giver. And if you're going to walk in overwhelming victory in every area of life, you'll never get there without being a generous giver. Doesn't work. It does not work. The Bible says uh, they're recounting the words of Jesus in Acts 10, 35, or excuse me, Acts 20, 35. Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. The Amplified says, uh, the one who gives is happier and more to be envied than the one who receives. 
This may not make sense to those of you that are listening, but I'm going to say it anyway. Giving is a higher level than receiving. (laughs) I know that because everybody thinks about the harvest that's come back that's greater than what we gave. Yeah, that's true. But I want you to hear this. Giving is a higher level than receiving. Because think about it this way, logically. Everybody can receive something, but not everybody can give. Everybody can receive, not everybody can give. And who's greater? Here's a question for you, according to Scripture. Who's greater, the one who's able to give or the one who gives or the one who receives? Who's greater, according to the Bible? According to Scripture, the one who gives is greater than the one who receives. I want to show you that. Go to Hebrews 7. Hebrews 7. The one who gives is greater than the one who receives. You know why? Because giving's a greater level than receiving. By the way, in God's system, God's kingdom, you can't even receive unless you are a giver. Abraham meets up with a priest named Melchizedek. I won't get into who Melchizedek could be, all the stuff that he could represent. Powerful thought. Here's a man that's got no beginning and no end. Nobody knows where he comes from. He's the king of Salem. He's the prince of peace. He is the uh, the king of righteousness, what his name means. And the Bible says in verse 4, Hebrews 7, 4, see how great this man was to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of the spoils. And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office of a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is from their brothers, those, these are also descended from Abraham. Now look, but this man who does not have his descent from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him and blessed him who had the promises of God. See, that's a mind-blowing scripture. If Abraham's God's man on the earth who has covenant and who has the promises of God already, what does this verse mean? Here's a man who blessed Abraham even though he already had the promises of God. And then verse 7 blows our minds. It is beyond dispute that the inferior, the lesser, is blessed by the superior. That's a biblical principle. The inferior is blessed by the superior. I'm not saying this in a prideful way, but in a logical way. I want you to see it in a logical way. I don't mean this in a negative or I'm not being derogatory towards those that don't have. I want you to see the principle. If you bless someone who is in poverty, the only reason you're able to do it is because you're at a greater level financially than they are. If you were at poverty level and you were also homeless, uh, just remember this, no homeless people are buying other homeless people homes. 
doesn't work that way because they're in the same mess that the other people are in. So if you're going to be a person who blesses those, that means you have to trust God to go to a greater place or a greater level before you can then bless others. Isn't that true? Because what if you're in a place, see, this is why I don't teach that God just wants to meet your needs, that God just wants to keep you in a place where, you know, he, well, the Lord meets my needs. I'm not believing for God to meet my needs. We go far beyond that. He's a God that goes beyond, puts you in the overflow in abundance. He exceeds abundance. And that's God. If you study Jesus' ministry, the narrative of his ministry through the New Testament, you know what you're going to find? He always exhibits a more than enough style of ministry. Always. Always. Every time they couldn't catch something. John 21. Cast your nets to the other side of the ship. Once they did. They pulled in so many they couldn't believe the net wasn't breaking. 153 large fish. It was more than enough. What about Luke 5? Gets into Peter's boat. Well, Lord, we fished all night, caught nothing. Oh, yeah? Well, let down your nets again right now. At your word, I'll do it. Boom. What happened? So many fish jumped into the boat. He started pulling them in from the net. His boat was sinking. Sinking. And then he had to call for his friends. Hey, bring your boat. They had to bring their boat over. He starts throwing the overflow into their boat. You know what the Bible says? And their boat began to sink. That's more than enough. Jesus didn't meet their needs. Okay. He goes out, John chapter six, to feed the 5,000 men, plus women and children, don't forget. And he's sitting there multiplying the bread and fish. <laughs> And I love what the Bible says. In fact, turn there. I want to read you the phrase for all these people that want to just teach that God, all God wants to do is meet your needs. No, that's not what he wants to do. Because even sinners have that. What glory does he get in meeting your needs? None. Your corporation can do that. In John 6, the Bible says, as he's doing it, he's uh, multiplying it. Bread and the, and, the, and the fish. After he'd handed it all out, I want you to see what the Bible says. In verse uh, number 11, Jesus then took the loaves, and when he'd given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated and also the fish as much as they wanted. This was not like a little communion meal where you got a little wafer and a little bit of juice. He distributed meat and bread until thousands and thousands of people ate as much as they wanted. Now, here's what you got to see. They ate as much as they wanted. Now, look, <laughs> this is powerful. Verse 12, and when they had eaten their fill, think about that. It wasn't meeting their needs. Like, well, we just need to get enough food in them to sustain them until they get home. We need just survival mode. No, 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 no. When they had all eaten, and this, this, by the way, you know, this is not a parable. This is an actual uh, historical story. This is a, something that happened for real in Jesus' life. Parables are 
fictional stories set to you know, teach a lesson. This actually happened in history. When they had eaten their fill, he, what did he tell his disciples? Well, we've, we've uh, met their needs. Now let's go on with the teaching. No. He told the disciples, now get 12 baskets and go out. And what does the Bible say? Gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. And they gathered up 12 baskets. <laughs> so after 5,000 men plus thousands of women and thousands of children were fed, and they'd eaten all they wanted to eat, and they wanted no more, he gathered up 12 full baskets of leftovers. What do you think? God can't count? That he doesn't know how hungry the people, you think God in heaven didn't know how hungry the crowd was? It's like, oh, I made a little too much tonight. No, he did. That's not it. It's us understanding the nature of God and the nature of Christ. He's a provider. He's a, he's more than enough. He is El Shaddai. He's the all sufficient one. Hallelujah. That was, and, and plus think about the principle of seed time and harvest. Somebody had a harvest coming back to them. Who was it? The little boy. You think Jesus sent him home empty handed? He sowed the seed of bread and fish. Know what that means? He's got a harvest coming to him. Whatever a person sows, that is what they'll also reap. Sowed bread and fish, he's getting bread and fish. Imagine him taking that home. He's got 12 disciples coming down the road with him carrying 12 baskets. Imagine what his mother would have looked like on the porch watching him come home with 12 baskets. Where have you been? <laughs> uh, Jesus always... Peter asks him, hey, Lord, should we pay the temple tax? Well, what do you think? Well, we need money to do it. Go down, catch a fish. First fish you catch, open its mouth, and uh, there'll be a gold coin inside. Notice, was that gold coin enough just to pay Peter's taxes? Or did Jesus say, when you get it, pay your taxes and mine? <laughs> it was more than enough for Peter. Because Jesus always showed his nature as a more than enough, generous kind of God. That's his desire. And see, it takes that overflow to be able to bless somebody else. We've got to live in the overflow to be a blessing. Imagine if all God did was meet your needs. Then all, once that was done, you couldn't tithe, you couldn't give, you couldn't bless the poor, you couldn't save anything. But the Bible says a godly man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. So what are you going to do then? Because all God did was meet your needs. You didn't even have any money to put aside for your children or your children's children. So how are you going to be a godly man or woman not even able to give an inheritance if God only meets your needs? That's not his desire. His desire is to take you into abundance and into overflow. That is his desire. And what? how do you get there? You get there by being a hospitable, generous giver. Look at God. God so loved the world. What was the proof of his love? He gave. He gave. That's the key. And I made up in my mind, I'll give you some things that'll, that'll help you. But the, the Victory Tribe, we are generous givers. I want you to put that, even if you've, even if you're not yet, put it in the comments. I'm a generous giver. Put it in the comments. I am a generous giver.
Put it in. Somebody needs to put it in in all capital letters. I am a generous giver. Oh, yes, you are. Yes, you are. Because you're part of the Victory Tribe. We're hospitable people. We are generous givers. It's exactly right. We are generous givers. We're next level people. Well, we know the benefits. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. Seed always brings in a harvest. The one who gives is at a higher level than the one who receives. So notice this. The benefit is if we continue as generous givers, we will continue in overflow. We will continue in increase. We will continue in promotion. God is the one who lifts us up. God. God does it. It ensures we'll never run out. It ensures that we'll never run out. This is the power of being a generous, hospitable giver. It ensures that we will never run out. But you ask yourself, well, how can I identify? How do I identify if this is not a part of my life? How can I identify? Oh, that was my Uncle Tiff, Jonathan's dad, who uh, left his wallet back at the hotel and he was going to buy buy food for the, um, for the missionaries that he was with overseas. And he went outside to pray, and when he did, he had his eyes closed praying, and the wind was blowing. He, he felt something blow up against his shoe because he had no money to pay the bill, and he told the missionaries at the end of the crusade, I'll take you all out for a really good dinner. And he had no money. He forgot his wallet. And the, he opened his eyes, and all these... Uh, German uh, Deutsch Marks, I believe it was, had blown up against his shoe. And he picked it all up and looked around. Nobody had lost money. He's looking around for somebody that dropped their money. Nobody. There was nobody. And he walked in and paid the whole dinner for the missionaries and those that he said he would bless. God God provided. But it ensures that we'll never run out. But how do I, how do I identify? Here's, here's a great question if you're going to get introspective, and you should on this one. How do I identify if I'm not one of those who is at the place of giving that I should be. I'll tell you one way to identify it. I'll tell you actually a few ways. Number one, are you still giving the same kinds of offerings that you gave years ago? Are you still at the same level? Are you still pulling a 20 out of your purse or out of your wallet and dropping it in the offering? If so, you have not grown. That's one way to know if are my offerings still the same? Have I not leveled up my belief system in my giving? Have I not leveled up my faith to, to so largely you have to ask yourself because see, God's looking for us to constantly increase. That's why we, my wife and I, we set a goal that every year in the kingdom, every year we're going to sow more in total than we've ever sown before. But we go further than that. I'm not just going to sow more total. I'm going to give the largest one-time seeds, the largest one-time offerings that I've ever given, ever. Why? Because I'm believing that God will put the largest seeds in my hand that I've ever had. means he trusts me to be a sower, which means the largest harvests that I've ever seen are coming back into my hand. You see, and so 
I want you to catch this. If you'll identify, I'm still doing the same thing I've done for years. How come I've never? That's why you got to level up. Then number two, here's another way to identify. When I sow a seed, does it even move me? Does it even move my life? I mean, think of it this way. If you pull a 20 or a 50 out of your bag or out of your wallet and put it in the offering, is that really moving your faith? I mean, truly, is that moving your faith for real? I'd say for the average person, it's not. Don't give things to God that don't mean anything to you. This is a this is this is something that this is something that's huge and I I really am believing that you'll get this in your spirit. Don't give things to God that don't mean anything to you. I can't imagine giving something to God in an offering that I'd be embarrassed to give a 16-year-old at their birthday party. You know what I mean? It's like Here's $20. Don't spend it all in one place, Lord. I can't imagine doing that. Ask yourself, ask yourself, is this offering truly moving me? You know, I think about the story of David and Arana in the Old Testament where God spoke to David what to give and what to sacrifice. He comes down to Arana who has the, the threshing floor. And Arana's like, hey, listen, you're the king. You can have anything that's mine. Take my threshing floor. Take the livestock you need. Take whatever you need. It's yours. You're the king. He said, no, I will not. I'll pay you for it, but I will not take it from you because I will not give God something that costs me nothing. David said, if I offered this to God, he wouldn't receive it. It has to mean something to me. It has to mean something to me. I'm with, I'm, I'm with Lynn Ann. She's in the Facebook comments. She said, I love giving an offering that makes me sweat. My flesh loves me. <laughs> I know what she's saying. We just, oh, yes, you know, your seeds should challenge your faith. And there should be. Uh, even a little bit of that where like your flesh is like, I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't know about that. I don't know if you should sow that one. It's like, oh yeah, we're sowing it. My wife and I just released the largest seed we've ever sown in the history of our lives in the month of April. Largest we've ever given. And it'll get far, far greater than that. It'll get far greater than that. But let me tell you, when I, when I told her to sow a $35,000 seed, it's like it hits your flesh sideways <laughs> when you're like, hey, tonight in the offering, we're going to give $35,000. Whoa, 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 chill, chill. There's things we could be doing right now with it. It's like, yeah, but I heard the Lord and she heard the Lord. She's generous. Many times my wife is, is she'll just jump out far before I do. I'm glad to have a good wife that's a giver and she's a generous giver. But you know, let me tell you, when you step out and sow a seed, that shakes your faith, your flesh is screaming no and your spirit screaming yes. (laughs) And I'm just telling you, ask yourself, 
have I exceeded? I'm just teaching you stuff that'll help you because, listen, I love you. I really appreciate the Victory Tribe. I, I feel like family with you. I love seeing you in person. You know why I teach you these things? Because I'm not even taking an offering right now. I'm just teaching you a principle. I teach you these things because I want to see you go to another level. I want to see you increase to the place where we're not talking about your needs being met. I'm talking about you're watching in the, walking in the overflow in abundance. In abundance. But it takes these principles. So I want you to hear what I'm saying. I want you to hear what I'm saying. That when you step out to do something for the Lord, you've got to be introspective about it. Don't ever, let me give you something that will help you. Just make this a rule in your life. Don't ever flippantly do something for God. Don't be flippant about your seeds. Seed time is an important time. Write that down in the comments section and never forget it. Seed time is important time. It's an important time. It's a holy time. It's a reverent time. Seed time is an important time. Write it down. It's just as much, if not more worship than what you lift your hands and sing. Let me tell you why I believe you know, we, and we're writing it, see time's an important time and we believe it. But let me tell you why I'm, I totally believe that it's even more of a time of worship than what you sing. Because it doesn't take faith like that to sing a song. Although God receives worship through our singing, our praise, our, like our, you know. But it doesn't take the same level of faith to sing a song and lift our hands as it does to sow a seed. <laughs> I'm just being real with you. Doesn't take the same level of faith to lift your hands and start singing a song in the church service. I mean, I bet you if you ask the average person, which would you rather do? Lift your hands and sing songs for 25 minutes or sow a $1,000 seed? I'll sing the songs. I'll sing the songs. Because it doesn't take the same level of faith. And God is looking to see how his children are responding with what he's put in their hands and in their life. I'm going to help you right now. I'm going to help you. Get introspective when it comes time to sow. Is this moving me? Because if it doesn't move me, it doesn't move God. I will never. I'll tell you something. I would, I would, I would rather not give than give something that means nothing. I, I'm being honest with that. I'd rather wait till I can give something that means something. Now, obviously, we're giving every week, and we're giving more more than one time a week. But I'm make, making a statement here, a principle. I can't imagine doing something <laughs> that means nothing. You know, if I meet a man of God, woman of God, and it's not by accident, especially if I run into him, it's like, Whatever. I'll bless them financially. I believe in blessing the men and women of God. I remember uh, Bishop Oyedepo came to uh, Washington, D.C. And we, my cousin and I went to see him. And let me tell you, he had impacted my life in a huge way, Bishop. Still is. But we're not letting him get out of there without sowing into his life. We're not doing that. And so he's leaving. 
And my cousin and I both blessed him as he's leaving the sanctuary. It was around his birthday time. And uh, my my cousin gave him a very expensive watch. And I gave him a $10,000 check. Not to his ministry, to him personally. Why? I'm not going to give something that costs me nothing or means nothing to me. Now, I know everybody's on different levels. I'm just giving you examples because I want you to see that we don't take giving lightly. We don't take giving lightly. I want you to hear this now. You need to set a goal and say, you know what? I'll, I'm gonna, God's going to raise me to a place where I give more in a year than most people make in a year. Look at the average. Uh, Cotter, I don't know if you can bring this up uh, via Google. Actually, I could probably do it. My phone's right here, but are you able to do that from there? What's the average household income in America? If you just Google average household income, America. I'd love to know what that number is. What about single family? Or not single family, but single person. That's that's the household income. But what about single person? 35900 dollars So let that be your first goal if you're not there yet. I'm going to give away what the average income is in a year. Imagine that now. The average person in America is making about $36,000 a year. $36,000 a year. What if you set your faith and said, Lord, you're, you're the one that gives seed to the sower. I am, I'm asking, you know I'm a faithful sower. Let me be one who gives to your kingdom what the average person makes in a year. Let me give it away in offerings, tithes and offerings. Can you imagine what would happen if you made that your goal? I'm going to give away what other people make. Glory to God. (laughs) Feels good just saying it. Feels good just saying it. I'm going to give away what other people make in a year. Well, you can't tell me that's not going to mean something to you. You can't tell me that's not going to mean something to you. Let me ask you, when was the last time you sowed a seed that challenged your faith? And again, there's no need to be nervous. I'm not taking an offering right now. I'm teaching you principles. People are like hiding their checkbook under the pillow of their couch. He's not going to get my money. I'm not, I'm not taking an offering. I'm just teaching you a principle. When was the last time that you sowed a seed that meant something serious to you? That shook your faith. You know, I would say that for most people, for most people, not everybody, but most people, a $1,000 seed is something that would move the faith of most people. I would say so. I mean, knowing what the, so, you know, if that's the average income for a single person, if you're making 36,000 a year and you sow a thousand of that, well, that's a pretty good ratio. And by the way, in case you didn't know this, you shouldn't ask God to forgive you, Neil. That's God blessing you. That's, not, that's God blessing you. And so, yeah, look at that. If someone's annual income is like that in the comments, 15000 and you give a 1000 of that, I'll tell you, that takes faith to do. 
but I, I'll tell you what I learned about God. He doesn't judge what you give by what you give. He judges what you give by what's left over. And the way I know that is by something that happened in the scripture. Jesus is in the temple and he's standing by the treasury and he's watching as people give their offerings. And the Bible says rich men came down and cast their offering into the treasury. And then a woman, a widow, she came down and put two mites. Jesus turned to his disciples. You know what he said? This woman has given more than all these, all these men. And they said, Lord, how could that be possible? Did you see what they were giving? He said, yeah, but they gave from their abundance. But she gave all she had. So how was he judging who gave more? By the ratio of what they gave to what they had left, right? Think of, think of this. I always, use this um, I always use this analogy. Imagine if two people are sitting next to each other in church. And they both pull out their checkbook and sow a $1,000 seed. Well, does God look at that offering the same from both of those people? Well, it depends. If the one person has $1.2 million in the bank and they sow a thousand and the other dude's got 1300 in the bank and sows a thousand, God don't look at those the same way. The one who's got 1300, God looks at that seed as a massive seed of faith. The one who's got 1.2 million, they don't even feel it. They're tipping God. They don't even feel it. And see, this is the principle we have to learn. Because, and, and, and by the way, this is one of the reasons why I, I never encourage everybody in the church to give the same seed. Because it doesn't, it, it's, not, it's nonsensical in one sense because it doesn't even mean the same thing. It used to take all the faith I had to give a $1,000 seed. I mean, all the faith I had doesn't take that anymore. Doesn't take that anymore. I'm just being honest with you. But it used to. It, we used to have to like pray in tongues, like at an exp, like, you know, speed tongues. Just to release something like that. You know, I was sure that when I dropped that envelope into the bucket that the church was going to shake with an earthquake and that the heavens would open and revival was going to pour out. Yanil says, Ted, when we tithe before we pay our bills, and is it gross pay or net pay? I tell people always, always tithe on the gross amount of what you make, not the net. You always give God his first. Always. Always. What did Miss Vicky say down at the bottom? She said, no one likes to talk about sacrificial giving, but that's what it is when you sow a seed that costs you something. We've given more over our tithe in the past two years than our salary was when we moved here in 1988. Uh, Pastors B.B. Hankins always said, you can't outgive God. Don't question or ignore the prompting to stretch your faith. That just means that God has more he wants to bless you with. Seed time and harvest will never end. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. And then and notice this, the Lord will keep on increasing you, keeps on increasing you time after time after time. Well, what's he looking for? Faithful people that'll just do what he tells them to do. That's why there's two things you really have to get in your spirit. Number one, spirit led giving. And then when you're deciding in your heart as Paul, you know, Paul made that statement to the Corinthians. He said, you must each decide in your heart how much to give. 
That's what he said in 2 Corinthians 9. You must each decide in your heart. I'm giving you some things that will help you, some parameters, when you decide in your heart how much you're going to give. And these things will help you. Don't tip God. Don't give something that means nothing to you. Don't do something that doesn't take faith. Do something that's pleasing unto God. And so that's why I say, when I sow, when my wife and I sow, of course we always pray. And here's why I do that. I know that God's the one that brings the increase. So when I go out into my future and he knows what I'm going to need to get there, he knows what he's, what I'm going to need when he increases me and takes me to that next place. So why wouldn't I listen to his instruction when he gives me the seed I should sow to get there? He's my guide. He's supernatural GPS. And so I do that. The Victory Tribe people, we're hospitable, generous givers. No question about it. So you, the question is, how do I identify if I'm not that? Well, when was the last time you gave a seed that moved you? And are you still given the same old stuff you've always done? You know, you've never moved up. You've never expanded. You've never exceeded what you used to do. See, that's why we put those things in place for ourselves, that my wife and I want to give more every year than we did the year before and the largest one-time seeds. Why do we say that one? Because let me tell you, it keeps moving your faith forward and it keeps your flesh under and it keeps God pleased. You know what it does? It ensures that you'll never have a love of money. It ensures that money's not your master, that you're not being run around by the spirit of mammon, but that you are honoring God and that he's your Lord, he's your provider, and he's the one you love. He's the one you love. No question about that. You can't serve two masters. You'll love one and hate the other, the Bible says. You can't serve God and money. And so by giving like this, and I do it regularly, regularly, we say, you know what? I'm going to give because I'm going to make sure this heart is right before God. He owns all of me. I don't belong to me. I belong to God. I was bought with a price, the Bible says. So honor God. So yes, I do. I'm a servant of God. Everything that's mine is actually his. So when he tell, anything he tells me to do, it's his anyway. I just do what he says. Kelly said, what if you and your spouse are at different levels of faith in giving? Do you sow the amount that the spouse, spouse with less faith asks to sow so they can grow their faith? One of the things, too, that you have to remember, Kelly, is that there's an authority level in the home. The husband, the Bible says, is the head, not of the home. The Bible says the husband's the head of the wife. That's God speaking. And so... One of the things, of course, we always want to be on the same page, but sometimes it's not the case. But I always, always encourage those that are uh, in a husband-wife relationship to do what the Bible says and submit to your husband. And then husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. That's what the Bible says. It's not hard to submit to someone that loves you like that. But it doesn't give you an out. If he's not doing his part, you still got to do yours. But I tell people this, you've got to obey uh, the word of God. And so you honor God by saying, you know what? I'll submit to my husband. You're both, you know, if you're both Christians, even better, because I've talked to many wives 
He's like, my husband doesn't even serve the Lord. And he doesn't want me giving 10% of our income to that church. He's very upset that I go over there and want to give 10% of our money to that church. You're in an even harder situation if he's unsaved. But, of course, I know Kelly and Bill are saved, and she's asking. But let me tell you, it's a blessing when both of them are saved and understand giving and understand tithing. But I say, submit yourself, like the Bible says, to your husband. And I feel like... You know, it brings total unity in the home, in the home. Now there's times I'll be, I'll be very honest with you. There's times where, uh, we're praying about giving and many times my wife and I are on the same page, but there are times I'll be honest with you. She felt to give more than I felt to give. And there have been times when she felt to give more than I felt to give, but you know what I said? Do what you feel. So the larger amount, cause the larger amounts gotta be God. It's not like I'm getting the one from the Holy Spirit and the devil's telling her to give more. No, it's God. I like what Dr. Rodney Howard Brown said. He said, if you're struggling between two amounts in your spirit, the larger one's God. Because <laughs> it's not going to be the devil and it's not going to be your flesh that only leaves one person, the Holy Spirit. And so I always tell people, if you're struggling with two amounts, the larger one's probably the Lord. And there have been times when I felt to give more and Carolyn just was not feeling to give more. She said, but go ahead and do, I trust your spirit. Go ahead and do what you feel to do. And then we've done that. But one of the things we always do is we err on the side of who feels to do more. Because if you're going to err on one side or the other, why not err on the side where you're, I'd rather, you know, say, man, I found out later I was just overexcited about the offering. I'd rather be there than I would be like, I don't feel like giving nothing. You know, I'm not going to be there. I want to be on the generous side. God will honor you. You can't, you can't outgive God. As Pastor Vicky said, you can't outgive God. He honors those. And so it causes you, and you're welcome, Kelly. It causes you to walk in the overflow. I love what Pastor Vicky said. Seed time and harvest will never cease. Genesis 8, 22, as long as the earth remains, There'll be seed time and harvest. It's God's system. He runs it. Devil can't touch it. And so you're a part of it. And so that's number eight. We're hospitable, generous givers. Keeps us in the overflow. Let me give you the final one, and then we're going to pray. Number nine of the nine of this H9 system, we are heavenly-minded That's the ninth thing. We are heavenly minded. What does that mean? We are all in on evangelism, outreach, and we understand time is short and people don't know Jesus and we're going after souls. We're going after souls. We're heavenly minded. We keep that burden in front of us. We're not flipping with our soul winning life. We're telling people about Jesus. We're bringing people to church. We're, you know, whatever, witnessing on the streets. Whatever it is that you're going to do, we're heavenly minded. We don't just come to church on Sunday, punch our card, and go home and live normally through the rest of the week, come back for more injection of heavenly cocaine on Sunday like most people do. Hit me, pastor. Hit my veins with that word for the week. Keep me strong. No. Don't treat church like a drug. And we're heavenly minded. The benefits of that, 
You know what the benefits is? Uh, the benefits are of being someone who's engaged actively in outreach. The Bible says that he pays wages to the harvesters. Pays wages to the harvesters. Let me tell you, if you're involved in God's number one, think about this. If you're engaged in God's number one priority on the earth, you think he's not going to reward you? You think you're out there winning souls and bringing people into the kingdom and he's not going to reward you? I mean, look at one of the most blessed ministries of all time. I want you to think about it this way. A ministry that never one time preached prosperity, never preached prosperity, but had it so abundantly and so overflowing in their ministry that it was ridiculous. You know who that was? Dr. Billy Graham. Billy Graham was a Baptist. Billy Graham did not preach prosperity. He wasn't talking about the power of a seed. He wasn't preaching any of that stuff. He preached salvation. He preached Christ crucified. Saw souls come into the kingdom at a massive rate. Huge amount of people come into the kingdom. And look what happened. God blessed him so abundantly. They had more. I mean, you go look at his properties now. They've got a whole parkway named after him in Charlotte. You go look at his properties to this day and he's been dead. Their ministry is still killing. Why? He was engaged in God's number one venture. Souls. Souls. When you go after souls, you know what the Bible says about you? He or she that wins souls is wise. (laughs) I'll tell you what my grandfather used to say. He said, he that wins souls is wise and he that doesn't win souls is otherwise. You're wise. And God blesses those that reap the harvest. No question. It ensures that we never become apathetic, cold, stop caring about those. You know what? If they don't want to serve God, they're all out there wicked, then let them go to hell. It's like there was a <laughs> there's a country singer that uh Got saved. I guess he got saved, but he was doing some gospel stuff. He's got a song. You can find it. It's called, it, his name is uh, Billy Joe Shaver. The song is "If You Don't Love Jesus, Go to Hell." <laughs> That's his song. <laughs> if you don't love Jesus, go to hell. He got a whole song on it, and that, you can look it up. Billy, Billy Joe Shaver. If you don't love Jesus, go to hell. You can't get this mindset, well, they're all of the wicked. I'll tell you what, they deserve hell. No. You got to have a compassion for souls. You got to have a love for people because you understand that God loves. Jesus Christ died. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He gave Jesus because he loved souls. Mm Mm-hmm. And Frank Nemus said, offering on the way. You understand, love souls. And so we have to be like Christ, love people, get them the gospel, and give them an opportunity. That's why we're doing everything we can to reach the, the lost with 
the message of salvation. I'm now giving altar calls and preaching and giving altar calls for salvation every week in over 180 nations of the world. I'm seeing people get saved. Their their salvation follow-ups popping up on my phone every single week in countries around the world. Why? We've got to do everything. I don't have to go on these places and pay all this money and be on television around. I don't have to do that. So well, you could put, couldn't you use that money to do other stuff? Of course. But understand Jesus is coming. And there's people that don't know Christ. He's not their Savior. He's not their Lord. And without Christ, souls end in hell. But if we're part of the victory tribe, then one thing we understand is that we're heavenly minded. It ensures we never become cold. And God blesses those that reap the harvest. Well, how do I identify? Is this in my life? Does your heart ever break for the lost? I mean, when you see people, if you see people that are truly lost, do you ever watch and see some of these things and think to your, and it just it breaks your heart? When was the last time? Think about it. When was the last time you truly saw somebody in that place? Watched what uh, sin was doing to their life and their family. When did it last break your heart? When did you last feel the compassion of God for, for those that are around you? Because I'll tell you, I know what, what's going on with people. And there's a lot of people in the ministry, in churches, that they're like, you know what? They get what they deserve living like that. That's how they live. Totally, totally apathetic to the plight of man. And they're sitting around. Yeah, let them go to hell. I hope the ground opens up under. That's not the spirit of Christ. It's not the spirit of God. You can identify it. If you've gotten cold, you're just bitter towards the wicked. You've got an us for no more shut the door mentality in your church. There's no outreach. Nobody cares about bringing people to church. Nobody cares about the lost. Your pastor doesn't even give altar calls. There's a problem when there's nothing. There's no focus on the lost. That's a problem. It's a problem. It is a problem. Because I don't care how much of a specialist you think your call is, if you're a preacher watching me, there is no excuse to not be a soul winner. You're lying to yourself. You're lying to yourself. Well, that's really not my gift. It's really not my call. I'm really more called to teach on this, preach on this. You don't have the luxury of exempting yourself from soul winning. You don't. I don't care if you're a apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, or teacher, or a Christian sitting in the pew. You don't have an excuse. Every person who belongs to Jesus is called to win souls. Everybody. Everybody. You're lying to yourself if you believe otherwise. Well, that's not really my call, my gift. No. Ridiculous. You can identify if you're missing it by understanding that my heart's not quite compassionate. I can see myself getting hardened toward people. And you know, we have to tell you something in your flesh, it's easy to. When you see the wickedness going on in this world, it sickens your spirit. These people need help. They need help. You can see something that's totally wicked. I don't know, we were, we were eating in, in, in last night and we came back to the hotel and through the lobby, we were going through the lobby and they had some show on. And they were showing Little Nas X 
on the on his all this stuff he's doing now. The man is tortured in his mind. He's got demons. Needs help. It's easy to watch stuff like that on TV and think to yourself, man, these people deserve hell. Don't let yourself get to that place. Let your heart break for the lost, for those that are totally overtaken by the spirit of this world. Be like Christ. Be compassionate. How can I fix it? That's the final question. How can I solve that issue? You've got to pray. You know, prayer does not change God. It changes you. The Lord doesn't change. He's the same. He said, I'm the Lord your God. I do not change. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. When you pray, you're not changing God by any means. But prayer is something that does change you. You better believe it does. You get into the presence of God. Listen, if you've got bitterness towards somebody and you have problems with talking about them behind their back because you're so ticked off, start giving yourself, I bet if you prayed 30 to 45 minutes a day for that person, prayed for their well-being, prayed for their mental health, prayed for their family, prayed for their finances, (laughs) let me tell you, you have a hard time staying bitter towards somebody you pray uh, vehemently for every day and you will have a hard time speaking against somebody that you're spending an hour a day praying for. It changes you. It changes you. And if you don't have that kind of compassion, Brother Frank Nemus Sr. said, amen, it did for me. It changes you. And let me say, if you don't feel that compassion for the lost, if you don't feel that you're heartbreaking for those that don't have Jesus, start praying. Start These are called kingdom prayers. You're not praying for things for you personally. You're saying, Lord, there's a harvest. What did Jesus say? Pray to the Father that he'll send harvesters into the field. Why? The field is white. The harvest is white and ready to be reaped. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he'll send laborers into the harvest. Start praying for the harvest field. Start praying that laborers will go out. Start praying that God will empower you to reap the lost in your community, in your job, at your school, whatever. Start, Lord, use us. Let more people come into the kingdom this year than we've ever seen come into the kingdom. I mean, begin to pray. Watch as the Lord changes your heart. The Lord will change your heart. So let me run through these one more time before we pray for you. Because these these define us as as the victory tribe. They define us. It's the H9 system. Number one, we're happy. Joy defines our culture. It's the fuel for purpose. It keeps us strong and productive and ensures we'll never be bitter. We're humble. Pride will never be a part of our culture. God resists the proud, gives more grace to the humble. We hustle. We're diligent and faithful. We're self-motivated and resourceful. Number four, we prefer others above ourselves at all times because we honor. We honor. Number five, we're helpful. We don't find problems. We provide solutions to who we are. Number six, we're hungry people. We're hungry for God's presence and we're hungry for his word. Number seven, we're holy people. We live free from sin. We walk in the power of God. Number eight, we're hospitable people. We're generous givers. And number nine, we're heavenly minded people. We believe in evangelism, in outreach. We understand that time is short and that people don't know Jesus. That's what defines us as the victory tribe. 
And we'll put together the cards for you, all the things that uh, we need to get in your hands. I'm going to write the book. You'll have it at some point. I'm going to send it to churches. We're going to use it for our ministry. But we put these in place because these parameters keep us where we know how to react. If if stuff starts going, let me just use one of those. If stuff starts going haywire, people start treating you differently, you see things going on in the natural realm, are you going to allow yourself to get depressed or sad or anxious? No, we're happy people. Joy defines our culture. I choose joy. I choose happiness over the rest of this junk in the world. See what I mean? It gives us the ability to create actionable steps in the midst of adversity. Let me pray for those that are uh, watching, those that are listening on the podcast. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, I pray for every man, every woman that's listening or watching. And in Jesus' name, I pray that this system that you've given us would not only uh, be ignited in their heart, but I pray that a fire would start, that they make up their mind. I refuse to look like the popular opinion, the majority, the herd, the mob mentality. I refuse to be like everybody else. I've made up my mind to be like Christ. I've made up my mind to obey the word. I'm going to be victorious in every situation. I'm like a tree planted by rivers of water. I'll bear fruit in every season. My leaves will never wither. I'll prosper in all that I do. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And so, Lord, I pray for every one of these. Let this become a part of their life and define their actions. And as we do, we thank you that we are walking in never-ending victory. We thank you, Lord, that the greatest days aren't behind us. They're ahead because you're a God that brings the increase. In Jesus' mighty name, we thank you and give you glory and honor. If you believe it, somebody throw some fire in the comment section. Throw some emoji hands up. If you believe it is done, in Jesus' name. Yaniel said, I got six pages of notes. Praise God. Praise God. Liz, we're going to another level. It's going to be a different kind of year. And I believe these last six months are going to be greater than the first. You watch and see what God's about to do. It's going to blow our minds. It's going to blow our minds. On this Wednesday, I want to encourage you to sow a seed, as I was talking about, that means something to you. What seed today is going to mean something to you? What is going to move your faith? What is going to move your faith? Right there on the uh, screen, you can see MiracleWord.com. I talked about this yesterday, that what we've been praying for in partnership, I wanted to define it clearly so people understand what I mean when I say, I want you to, I'm asking God to have you partner with us. Partnership is when we have people that are willing to pray for us, whether that's daily or weekly, you're praying for this ministry, for me and Carolyn and all of our team as we're traveling, as we're doing the work that God's called us to do. And then people are standing with us financially. But what is partnership financially? We're believing that people are standing with us on a monthly basis. We're not talking about a one-time offering or a one-time seed. We're talking about people that are willing to say, you know what? Every month I can do this. And you can go to our website and you can fill out the form on the partnership page and set up a recurring seed. We're believing at this first level that there will be a thousand people that'll stand with us at $85 or more 
uh, every single month. And we, we ask people to go to the website and do that because we're believing God. And of course, it's not a one-way street. It's a two-way street. As you're standing with us, we're standing with you. We're praying for you. Of course, you know, I text you. I pray for you personally. The team's praying for you. We're standing with you to see the greatest days you've ever seen. It's a two-way street. But I want to I want you to ask the Lord today, what can I do? I understand there might be people watching. You can't stand at that $85 a month yet. I love Jenna found out that's three Starbucks venti lattes a week. That's all that is. Three lattes a week is $85 partnership a month people standing at a hundred dollars a month it's like a cell phone bill some at 250 500 a month some are selling a thousand a month 750 what can you do is the question ask the lord how can i be a part of miracle word ministries how can i truly stand as the victory tribe and watch the message of the gospel shake a generation before it's too late that's the question and so the, the answer is, do what you can do where you are now. And don't ever think to yourself, oh, this isn't even worth doing. No, it's worth it. If it's what you can do and it's taking your faith to do it, it's worth it and God will bless you for it. And so I want to encourage you, go to the website today, stand with us, stand with us, watch what God will do. In this month of... Um, June, we're sending you this book by Brother Kenneth Hagan that's entitled Biblical Keys to Financial Prosperity. Biblical Keys to Financial Prosperity. This will bless you immensely. That's for people that are sowing $85 or more. Go to miracleword.com forward slash offer and you can sow your seed there. It lets you know, or lets us know rather, where we should send this uh, book. There's a drop down if there's a, another, if you already have this book, we have a drop down on the form. You can choose which product you'd like us to send you and we'll do that as well. Um, for those that are sewing $1,000 or more, as you know, we've put together the Genuine Leather Life Application Study Bible, uh, New Living Translation, and then we're, we've finished now the uh, Elite Study Collection, one of my favorite things. I'm going to get some pictures of this for you probably tomorrow and uh, and Friday. You can see what it, it looks like. So beautiful. Uh, for those sewing $5,000 or more, we wanted to put something so beautiful in your hand to say thank you for believing in this ministry and standing with us. And uh, we've got some new things coming up uh, very shortly um, for partners. You'll see. We're going to start pulling a partner of the month and just blessing the heck out of you. Jenna said, God will increase you no matter where you start. And that's true. Yeah, Bethany, we're still alive. We're still alive. This preacher is long-winded. And uh, I'm here in Rowlett, Texas. If you can get here, you got to get here. We've been having powerful, powerful meetings. Can I tell you something? It's a great day. It's Wednesday, which means we've got brand new kids content out today. We've got a brand new one at Miracle Word Kids, a new video, a new Bible study. Check out the special guest. You got, the, you got the slide for that one? Oh, it's dad and daughter day. It's dad and daughter day. Uh, we're doing three weeks consecutively on giving, me and Maddie together. Today, we're teaching your kids about the power of tithing, the power of tithing. It's on our app. You can get all of the Miracle Word Kids videos on the app uh, for your tablet or phone, and uh, 
I'm telling you, it's great to see Miracle Word kids when we go to every meeting and they want to get pictures with Maddie and Brooklyn and Teddy. They love watching the videos. They love doing the Bible studies. And uh, I'm telling you, it's great. If you haven't seen it, you need to go see it and uh, and subscribe to it. Um, I don't know. You know, I, I know we used to. I don't know if we did away with it or not. Nobody really, I don't know how many people really use text to give, but <laughs> the picture is classic. Jenna, do we have a text to give? I don't know if we still do that anymore because just nobody was using it. Everybody was doing PayPal or Cash App or Venmo or just using the website. I don't even think we had anybody engage with text text to give. We might still have it. I, if we do, I don't know. Jenna will tell me. Ava can't wait to see you in Fitchburg. October. It's going to be great. Tonight, we're back. Church in the city. Um, <laughs> Jenna said, nobody uses it. It's done with. <laughs> We've canceled it. Um, back at Church in the City, 7 o'clock Central Time, 8 o'clock Eastern Time. Revival continues. Don't miss tonight. It's going to be a powerful night. I can't wait to see what God's going to do. I love you. I'll see you again in the morning, 10.30 a.m. Eastern, 9.30 a.m. Central. And then you can figure out the rest of the time zones for yourself. Have a blessed day. Thanks for sowing. Thanks for partnering. I love every one of you. I'll talk to you again very soon. Later. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.